Listening to the Nick's State of Mind podcast, presented by Elite Sports Radio. And now, your hosts, Chip Murphy and Matt Castillo. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Nick's State of Mind podcast. I'm Matt Castillo, and of course, Chip Murphy is here, but we have a special guest with us. He is a writer here at Elite Sports, and his name is Zach Cronin. So, Zach, thank you for joining us today. Not a problem, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And what we kind of got right now is topics about the draft. The draft is what, Chip, a week away? Next Thursday, is it? Yes, next Thursday. So it's one week away. So we're going to be talking about possibility of players that the Knicks can take at eight. Um, and just the way we can jump right into it, it's somebody who we already talked about uh, right after the draft lottery when the Knicks got the eighth pick of the draft. We talked about a possible options. And one of the guys we discussed was Dennis Smith Jr. from North Carolina State. And we talked that the Knicks were planning to schedule a workout with him. And last week, that workout, if you can call it a workout, uh, took place as Dennis Smith Jr. had dinner with Phil Jackson. So they didn't really see what he can do on the basketball court. And Chip, I'm going to start with you. What does this mean? If the Knicks bring this guy in, but they don't even have a real workout, they just have dinner. What what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, the initial report was that Smith had meetings with the Knicks, but there wasn't much of a workout. And then it came out later that there was no workout at all. So that leads me to believe that they don't need to see him play because they already have seen enough tape of him and they already know where they stand with him. So maybe they're already completely sold on him and maybe they like him even more than they like Frank. Uh, maybe he's their guy at the top of the board or maybe in their mind, they have no intention of taking him at all. And, and Zach, they only brought him in to mislead other teams. I, I don't know, but either way, what it seems to me to say is they have already seen enough of him. They didn't even need to see him work out. And, and Zach, I'm going to ask you, do you think this is a possibility that perhaps maybe the Knicks don't bring him in to do a workout because maybe possibly another team is interested in him, so the Knicks kind of figure that they're not going to get him at eight? I mean, yeah, that's possible. I know I read recently from Mark Medina. He talked about Smith's workout with the Lakers, and he just raved about how he played both sides of the floor incredibly well. I mean, maybe if he did play that great the Knicks know that it's going to get out there and he might go before they pick an eighth and if he's their guy if he's the guy that they want that badly they're not going to want all that extra stuff getting out there about him and, and Chip I'm going to toss it back to you kind of what you just said about it, it could mean that the Knicks are sold on him right away and I know we kind of discussed this before getting into Dennis Smith Jr. but if let's say if you are correct, and the Knicks are absolutely sold that if he's there at eight, they're going to take him. Have you changed your mind at all? Because I know you were more on the, the Frank Nielakina side of things the last time we we discussed uh, that ace spot. So 
has your opinion changed on Dennis Smith Jr.? No, I still think, like I said uh, last time we talked about it, I'm not a fan of the triangle, but if they are committed to running the triangle, Frank makes more sense. Dennis Smith Jr. makes no sense at all for the triangle offense. So I don't see why they would draft him. And I would take Frank ahead of Dennis Smith Jr. If I was the Knicks, I would take him. If I was not the Knicks, I would not take Dennis Smith Jr. ahead of Frank, though. And I kind of said this before. Now, I, with that said, I would take Malik Monk ahead of Pope. <laughs> Malik Monk, yeah, we we're going to actually kind of, I guess, yeah. foreshadowing to our later segment because he is going to be yes, uh, discussed exactly. a yeah. little later on in the show. But with Dennis mm-hmm. Smith Jr., I know, uh, I think it's no question, I'm, I want him. I think, you know, if we couldn't get De'Aaron Fox, because that's, yeah, that's no, the guy right. that I yeah. wanted. Right from the beginning. It doesn't look well, like yeah, we're going to get we him. We both wanted De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe by some miracle, if he's able to remain in the eighth pick or if he's still in the eighth spot, I would love to have De'Aaron Fox, but I just don't see that happening. So I'm a, a, I am like Dennis Smith Jr. In fact, you know, I did a video for Elite Sports. Um, you can find that at the video section of the site. You can also find it on the YouTube channel where I broke down uh, the pros and cons of Dennis Smith Jr.'s game. And the more I watch, the more I like. And I I hear what you're saying, Chip, that he's not really the great fit for the triangle. Um, I I think there's no question if you're trying to fit just for the triangle, then you are going to take Frankie Lakina. But one thing I love about him, and you can see it in in the video, and, um, you know, I look at the video and the video is doing well, actually. It's actually over 2,800 views. And I, I think I could be wrong, but I just think the Nick fans are excited about the possibility of a Dennis Smith Jr. coming to the Knicks. I think when you look at his his ability to score in transition and his creativity and the way that he's able to finish, it's certainly intriguing. Um, there, there's questions with his defense. He's not fully committed to the defense end for the course of a game. He does show flashes of defensive abilities, uh, quick feet, good anticipation skills, but other than that, is kind of lazy of an on-ball defender. But when you look at it, like I just said, the fast break, the New York Knicks were ranked almost towards the bottom in fast break points last year. They, they only averaged 10.9 or something along those lines of fast break points per game which is a major reason why well, they didn't try and run very much. No, they didn't. Yeah. No. And, and that's something that even Carmelo Anthony has talked about in wanting the Knicks to run a more faster pace offense. And when you can get a guard like him, who is very deadly in the open, open court, I think that if he's available, that's who I would take. And again, I said it before on the show, I've been wrong plenty of times. So, People, trust me, I am not the expert at this and, and, and say that's the best choice to go with. But, Zach, I'm going to ask you this right here. Do you think the New York Knicks should draft somebody like Frank Nielakina because he may fit the triangle better? Because if I look at the two, I think Dennis Smith Jr. is the more NBA-ready, the better player. But my question to you is, would you draft the player 
that fits the system better or the player that is the better player and that has more talent? Or do you even agree with that? Do you think Frank Nielakina is better than Dennis Smith Jr.? I like Dennis Smith Jr. more than Frank just because from what I've seen, Smith plays both sides of the ball better, even though he is like kind of like a days ago on defense. I think it all depends on what the Knicks plan to do with Phil Jackson and what the long-term future of the team is. Because if you do pick Frank for the sole purpose of running the triangle and Phil Jackson's contract runs out and the Knicks elect not to re-sign him or bring him back or anything like that, you're stuck with some guy who might not fit what they're doing long-term, at least with Dennis Smith. Even if he doesn't fit the triangle, long-term he can do so much more because he's such an explosive player. He can get any shot he wants. Almost he can finish with traffic. He can just do so much on the offensive end of the court. It's going to come down to where the Knicks see themselves in the next couple of years. And then also with Carmelo Anthony, once they decide to part ways with him, you'll have another guy in place and you can figure out with KP and Dennis Smith what you want to do going forward. And Chip, that's kind of the same kind of question I want to ask you, though, because I, I know where you stand. You clearly made it obvious that you'd rather take Frank Nielakina. But uh, approaching the draft in whole, do you think it's the smartest thing for the Knicks to do to draft based off of what their system needs or the, the better talent? They go forward with the system 100%. I mean, they've been dancing around it for the entire time Phil Jackson has been there. And like I said, I'm not a fan of it. But if they really want to commit to it, they need to go for it. Like when Derek Fisher took over, they said they were going to go with the triangle. And then eventually Derek Fisher uh, decommitted from it, and that's what got him fired. And Jeff Hornacek, at the beginning of his time with the team, said they were going to go 50-50 with it, and that never really happened. Or never really worked, rather. And now they're going to go full-on triangle, and it feels like they were never really doing that in the first place. So if you really want to do the triangle, then don't you need to put the right people in place? Isn't that the whole point of it? That's what Phil Jackson always says. I mean... Apparently, they're running during the workouts that they have these draft players, these draft prospects come in to do, they're running triangle drills. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing for them. So they're testing them out to see how they work in this system. So that's what they're drafting based on. And I don't, let me say again, I don't think it's right. I just think somebody, if Dennis Smith comes in next year and plays in the triangle, you're taking away his greatest strength. You know, he's not going to be able to run the ball constantly and push it. And that's what, as a, as a rookie where, you know, he's not going to be a great shooter right away. That's gonna, it's going to hurt him. I I hear exactly what you're, you're saying. And I I agree with you. And, And like you said, you don't agree with it, but part of the problem is Phil Jackson's stubbornness that he is so committed to this triangle that, you know, I I agree. I think he may pass up on more talented players to find players that are better fits for the system. And I think for the Knicks' sake in in the long run, 
that's very risky to do because kind of like Zach touched about, uh, we don't know how long Phil Jackson's actually going to be with the Knicks. Um, obviously, uh, his option has been picked up, so it's at least a few more years. But the problem is, as I've talked about it before, this is a draft that the Knicks really can't afford to screw up. And it's now a, a thing that that could possibly happen by taking a player that fits the system better. Well, what happens when the system only lasts for a year or so? And who knows if it's even going to last this year, like you said, that the triangle's always talked about of being ran, but it, it never seems to fully be bought into by these players or by the coaching staff. Something always constantly changes. And that's why, for me personally, I, I would bet against that the triangle is going to remain exclusive for the New York Knicks. I know that's what Phil Jackson and Jeff Hornacek has said, that that is going to be the offense. But I guarantee you, just like the last few years, at some point this year, the Knicks are going to move away from the triangle because I don't even think the players that they have on the roster now are even committed to it. In fact, I know Carmelo Anthony isn't. So (laughs) it, it, it seems to me like it could hurt the Knicks a lot worse just to draft a player to fit the triangle and, and let somebody else um, go. And other than that, I think that's that's going to be the key thing with this draft is, is Phil Jackson is kind of worrying me. I think this draft, as we said before, is very talented. but And I don't want to miss out on some of these talented players for players that may fit a system that may or may not be there. But I think we're going to wrap it up for our first segment. And when we come back, we're going to talk about other options with that eighth pick. There's a few other guys. Uh, Donovan Mitchell from Louisville has been talked about. And, of course, as Chip alluded to a little bit earlier, Malik Monk. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, everybody. Matt Castillo, the co-host of the Knicks State of Mind podcast and contributor to Elite Sports New York. You can follow me at Twitter at MattyDiesel15 to get my latest articles, videos, and podcasts. Make sure to follow Elite Sports New York's Twitter as well at Elite Sports NY and the rest of Elite Sports New York's social media pages to stay up to date to all the New York sport news. Welcome back to the Next State of Mind podcast. And we kind of talked about it a little bit about some of the other options that the New York Knicks can take at the eighth pick and, and some other guys that are now being talked about for the Knicks other than guys like Dennis Smith Jr. or Frankie Lakina. Other options would be Malik Monk from Kentucky and Donovan Mitchell from Louisville. And Chip, I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to ask you, what do you like about Malik Monk and, and what do you don't like if he was the Knicks' eighth pick? Well, what I like about Malik Monk is that I think, as a rookie, he's probably going to be the leading rookie scorer next year because he fits what's going on in the modern game perfectly. You know, he put up like seven threes a game last year in college, and he shot 40%, mm-hmm. and he averaged almost 20 points. He was SEC Player of the Year. He had an awesome year. He was he scored a lot of points. He was definitely a volume shooter. Now, he didn't. He wasn't great going to the rim, and he definitely benefited from having De'Aaron Fox. So I think it'll help him playing with a guy like Carmelo, if Carmelo's there. But it'll help play him with uh, Chris Stops because Chris Stops will be there. And 
I just, I like, mostly I like his shooting ability. What I don't like, I know it's cliche to say, you know, he has a, the short arms, his alligator arms, his wingspan. Everybody criticized that. But that was a little, a little concerning because uh, it'll affect whether or not he can guard uh, bigger players. He probably won't be able to guard small forwards in the NBA. He'll probably only be able to guard ones and twos. And in today's NBA, people usually, coaches usually want their shooting guards to guard threes, and I don't think he'll be able to do that. So I think defense could be an issue, but uh, Fran Fraschilla said he sees Malik Monk, his ceiling is like a Jamal Crawford type, mm. and I think that would be fantastic if that could happen for us. So Exactly. You can't argue with the kind of career that – Jamal Crawford's had for yes. the Knicks. I mean, uh, or in general uh, as well. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, he was exciting to watch when he put on that Nick uniform, and um, yes. definitely could use another Jamal Crawford type player on the team. And Zach, mm-hmm. let me ask you a little bit about Monk. Um, not much of the playmaker. He, he only averaged, I think, around two assists a game. And actually, I'm looking at the number right now, so it's two point three assists a game. Uh, do you think that his playmaking abilities as a point guard or as a guard, do you think that can hurt him within the Knicks offense? Because if you look at it, our point guards in the last several years are really not guys that create for the others, and I think that makes a problem on the offense. But do you think that possibly he's a better playmaker than his numbers show or if he's more of that shooter, score first type player? I think – Having De'Aaron Fox definitely, it didn't limit him, but it meant that he could focus more on scoring for himself and getting himself going. He's definitely a score-first player. I don't care whether he averages eight assists, nine assists, or two assists. He's going to be looking for a shot first and foremost because that's what he does best. If he was given the keys to the offense, he might surprise and he might not. I think it also depends on what the Knicks want to do with them. I feel like every conversation about any player's offense goes back to the system they want to run. If they want to play a more up-tempo game, like pick and roll, stuff like that, Monk would be great. If they want to stick and try and run the triangle, I don't know, because that's an offense that's predicated on reading and reacting on the defense. We didn't really have to see Monk do much of that at Kentucky, and you don't want to hurt his confidence so early on and then he's just shot for the rest of the year and he's afraid to go out there and make plays because if he's not making plays what else is he going to do for the team and I, I think the thing that would fit Monk very well within the system is obviously the shooting ability that you Chip have talked about uh, terrific outside shooter and I mean I, you look 40% like you said a three point shot and that's very important for the the offense in the triangle, the guard being able to shoot the basketball, and as well as being athletic, um, the guy that can cut to the basket, finish around the basket, which is another aspect that Monk can bring to the table. And, Zach, I'm actually going to start with you right here because on the other side of things, it's Donovan Mitchell, and his name has actually been popping up recently as a guy that the New York Knicks had been kind of intrigued in with or, or taking him in the eighth pick. So 
so kind of the same question I asked Chip but evolving Donovan Mitchell. What do you like about him and what do you don't like about him? I like how he's an incredible guard defensively. Even though he's undersized to play two, he's six three, but he's got a six ten wingspan, which is absolutely ridiculous. And he's also an incredible athlete, both vertically and laterally. And if someone, like if I were having the argument with someone that he was the ACC's best perimeter defender, I mean, I wouldn't really have much of an argument because all the numbers back it up. He's got great anticipation. Also, that length really helps just in the passing lane. And although I think eight is too high for him to go, he would benefit the Knicks a lot because of how bad they were defensively. The only thing stopping him from cracking that top 10 is he's very limited offensively. He only shot, I think, like 41% this year overall. He's maybe a 3 and D guy at the most right now, but I haven't really seen him consistently create for himself nor consistently create for others. And one thing I, I look and see that he averages about two steals a game, um, so has capabilities of being a, a, a threat defensively for the Knicks. That's one aspect that I look in for a player because it's no secret that the Knicks are terrible at defense. So I think he can help there. And basically what we're going to go with now, Chip, if you were the person making the pick for the Knicks and it's between Monk or Mitchell, which one would you take? Well, because... Zach said, I think eight is too high for Mitchell. I I would go with Monk. Definitely Monk. And Zach, same thing. Would you go with Monk or would you go with Mitchell? I'd go with Monk. Yeah, I think that would be the smarter choice because I think, uh, Zach, you put it, you hit it right on the the head with the call of that. I think eight might be a little too high for him, a little too much pressure probably to perform at that kind of pick. And Chip, I guess when I ask you, though, because he, like I said, his name is popping up, intriguing the Knicks, and kind of want to figure out why that is. Why do you think the Knicks are kind of the last minute kind of showing interest in a player like Mitchell? Well, like Zach, Zach mentioned his wingspan, Donovan Mitchell had the best combine of any player that was there. He, uh, It turned out Despite, even though his uh, 6'10 wingspan, it turned out he was taller than teams thought he was. He was 6'3 with shoes, and teams thought he was a couple inches shorter than that. Uh, His uh, max vertical was like 40 inches, I think. Yeah, 40 and a half inches. Uh, His standing reach was uh, eight uh, eight inches. Uh, He had, yeah, he had, I'm looking at this thing now, guys who helped themselves most of the combine, and he's number one. So, yeah, it was every year there's a guy who comes out of nowhere after the combine, and he was that guy. And he had awesome, uh, awesome like, speed testing at the combine, too. And he didn't even play in, like, the five-on-five scrimmages. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even need to show off his game. That's how impressive he was. And I guess... I. He actually didn't talk to the Knicks at the Combine. They wanted to meet with him, but uh, the scheduling didn't work out is what I read. 
but they're definitely very interested in him. And I read that his dad, I think, works for the Mets. So there, there is a New York connection, too, yep. which is always makes things different. Well, the one thing about Mitchell that you kind of said was that the combine was very, very impressive. He's a strong guy. Uh, you know, we mentioned he's six foot three, about 210 pounds. Um, very strong. He's lengthy um, and very athletic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he is a nice player. But I think the bottom line with him, though, is that he is, I think it's a reach to take him at eight. But I can certainly see why the Knicks would be interested in, in him. Um, maybe, again, kind of like what we talked about last week, if the Knicks were able to get another pick later in the first round, absolutely, I think, yeah. to explore that. I mean, would you guys agree with that, uh, Zach? I, I would ask you first. you think if the Knicks were able to get a later pick in the second round, or excuse me, not the second round, later in the first round, would you think that that would be the appropriate time to take a player like Mitchell? How late are we talking? Uh, well, the reports are saying, you know, especially Portland, I think the 15th pick is one of them that they have that the Knicks are kind of interested in getting. Um, or the other one would be the 20th or the 25th. And I think the 25th, he might, he's not going to be there. I think 15th yeah, to 20th. Will be right? off. Yeah, in the 15th to 20th yeah, range. He's, if he's on the board at 15, I'm definitely taking him. There's just like, at that point, it's okay to take like a relatively limited player like Mitchell because he's already so great at one end of the floor and it just so happens to be the end of the floor that matters most. I mean, you can draft him at 15 and just have him spend the next couple of seasons just like in the gym putting up jump shots and then next thing you know, you have a, a, an outstanding defender who's also a capable offensive player. And we got another guy that was mentioned or we were talking about right before we started this segment, um, Luke Kennard from Duke University. And Chip, you said he's actually projected to be a, a late lottery selection, which actually shocked me. Um, and you wanted to discuss him a little bit. Uh, I, I don't think he is the eighth pick for the New York Knicks. But again, another guy that if the Knicks were able to get another pick in the first round, can certainly look at. And, and the question to you is, you, you wanted to talk about him. Why do you like Luke Kennard? Because I think he improves as much as anyone in the country uh, over from freshman to sophomore year. And he can score a lot more than just shooting. He was, he was great off the dribble, uh, off pull-up, from a screw up, pull up, pick and roll situations. And he was a good playmaker for Duke. They were an isolation offense, so he doesn't have a lot of, his assist numbers aren't great. And for some reason, they put the ball in Grayson Allen's hands more than his, which when I was watching them, I didn't understand because he's twice the player Grayson Allen is, but that's neither here nor there. And yeah, I just think he, he's not a very good defender, but he definitely has the, Size to improve as a defender. I think he's six six, and I, yeah, I just think he's got he's got he's capable of playing a little point guard in the league too. And yeah, I'm really high on Luke Kennard. And Zach, I know I, you guys are not. Well, well, when you when you say that, and I know it's not actually you. It's it's uh, where he's projected. 
to be in a lottery. I, it's not that I'm not high on him. I, I think he could be a, a nice player. It's just I don't see him as a lottery player. And that's kind of what I was going to ask Zach is uh, were you shocked by that just as much as I was or you were shocked as that? Um, do you think that if he was taken even in the lottery, do you think that that's you know not where Kennard should be? Where where do you think a guy like Kennard should be drafted? Probably 15, 15, 25-ish. I remember once March Madness was over, Luke Kennard was slowly rising from the second round into the late first round. And I saw him one day. He was projected to go to the Nets. For anyone listening who doesn't know, I'm a Nets fan, not a Knicks fan. Um... I saw him going to the, I saw him projected to go to Brooklyn, and I was like, "That's interesting." And then I looked just now; he's projected to go 11. I think that's fine. Once you start getting into like top 10, that's when people are expecting a franchise player, which Luke Kennard is not. And if he were to go, if the Knicks were to pick him at eight, I think they deserve all the bad luck that comes to them over the next couple of years because, as Chip said, he's a great offensive player. Um, He's not really even, like, that limited. He can do a lot of things with the ball on his hand. And something that's really interesting to watch is that he's got great footwork, and that kind of offsets any athletic advantage that the, that the defender has on him. So on the flip side, on the defensive end, you worry about his length or his lack of length and any lack of athleticism that he has, and I'm not so sure the Knicks could. I think they would struggle with him if they picked him at eight, as opposed to later in the lottery. And I look at Kennard, and obviously, like we, you guys were talking about, a terrific offensive player. I mean, you're looking. I'm looking right now that he was second in the ACC for points per game, which is pretty pretty impressive. There, there are plenty of good basketball players in the ACC, plenty of good teams. So that that's a pretty impressive feat right there. I mean, when you look at his shooting efficiency, it's outstanding. I mean, 53% two-point shots, 44% three-point shooter, and 86% free-throw shooter. And then being selected to the ACC first team all-conference team, that, that's pretty impressive. Um, also, I believe he's a lefty, right? Yeah. That, that's another reason why yeah, I love him, because I'm a lefty as well, and he's got a nice nice stroke. Um, I talked about it when we, me and you, Chip, talked about uh, Tatum before, and I mentioned that I went to a Duke game this year. It was uh, in Wake Forest, um, and, and Duke, I know you're a Duke fan, Chip, so you probably remember this game that they were yeah. they were losing to Wake Forest basically the entire game until the last like four or five minutes. And the person that brought them back was Luke Kennard. I mean, he was unbelievable. Hit the, the game-winning three basically right at the buzzer. And, I mean, where I was standing, once you see he left his hand, you knew it was going in. So he's a, a terrific shooter. There's no question about that. And where I'm going to actually chip. He was chip, better than Tatum you, the, as a, last year. He was. Okay, so you – but – that's the thing, though. Yeah, I, I think you can make that case that, yeah, he was more important to Duke for the year for, for that team. Now, Tatum, as we talked about before, was very impressive 
towards the end of the year, but absolutely for the whole entire season. Kennard was the man and the guy they relied on the most. Tatum did pick up his play at the end of the year. But, Chip, where I'm going to ask you is, what kind of player do you think Kennard could be? I mean, I, I I don't say superstar, and and I said already that I was a little shocked that he was even a lottery projected pick. I, I figured he would be a second round pick because um, I look at him as just strictly a shooter. But you you see a little bit more. What kind of role do you think he can have in the league? Yeah, I think he can play. I think he can be a combo guard. I think he can play a little point guard, and if he never improves as a defender, then he's going to be, I don't think he's ever got starter potential, but if he improves a little bit as a defender, he can be maybe a six man, maybe one of the first guys coming off the bench. I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think he's a starter, but uh, I think he's going to be a pretty solid player. Uh, he was really efficient. Uh, I saw somebody compared him to Kyle Corver. That's a natural comparison. Mm-hmm. I also saw like Wesley Matthews or something. I don't know. I uh, I think he could be a really really knockdown shooter, and I think he's a good fit for today's NBA because he can play point guard too. And if he improves, his, like it reminds me a little bit of JJ Redick mm-hmm. when he came into the league because JJ couldn't play any defense at all, and he just got benched right away. So if Kennard improves his defense like Rennick did, I think he could be a solid, a really solid player. And that's what I was going to ask you next, speaking of J.J. Redick. Do you think he can actually end up being better than J.J. Redick? Because J.J. took a few years, but it has made a nice career for himself. We talked about J.J. on the show before. Do you think Kennard could actually be better than, than Redick? Yeah, I do. I think he's more talented than Redick. He was more talented than Redick in college. I mean, Redick had a lot of help in college. (laughs) They ran a lot of screens for him and stuff. And he's more athletic than uh, J.J. And he can do a lot more than J.J. can or ever could. You know, like we talked about with the ball in his hands and stuff. And J.J.'s been a spot-up shooter his whole career. So, yeah, I think he can be better than J.J. All right, and the reason why we're talking about Kennard once again is that there's some reports that the New York Knicks are bringing him in for workouts, and I think we're all in agreement that the eighth pick is not going to be Luke Kennard, um, that possibly if the Knicks get another first-round pick, him or uh, Mitchell could certainly be an option um, to pick up, and that's why we talked about Kennard a little bit. But we're going to wrap it up for the second segment and when we get back, we're going to talk about some of the later round picks, those second round picks that the New York Knicks are bringing guys in to work out um, that are projected to be in the second round. So we're going to talk about a few of those guys in just a moment. Hi, everybody. This is Chip Murphy, co-host of the Knicks State of Mind podcast and boss of all New York Knicks content at EliteSportsNY.com. To follow my work, you can find me on Twitter at at Chipper Murphy. Welcome back to the Nick State of Mind podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit about second round picks. Most of the talk that we, we've been talking about the Knicks is that first round, um, but with the draft being a week away, that second round is just as important. I believe the Knicks have two picks in the second round. 
Um, I could be wrong on that, but Chip, do you know if they have two picks? They do have two, yeah. So two picks. and 58. Okay, so two picks in the second round. Uh, again, a very deep draft, so there, there's going to be some players there. And we're going to talk about some of the guys the Knicks have worked out or have interest in. And Chip, I'm going to start with you with Josh Hart from Villanova. Uh, tell me some of the things that you like about him and, and not like. Well, Hart's a sharpshooter right now. I mean, he's uh, – I'm reading about him a little bit. I'm reading his Draft Express profile, and I didn't realize this. I figured it would be an overwhelming stat, but it says here uh, 63% of his shots uh, over the season, over the course of the season as a senior, came from the perimeter during half-court sets. And uh, he actually improved – uh, as a junior, he was 35% from three, and last year he was 40%. So he became a knockdown shooter as a senior, and I think it's always great when a player really improves as he's going into the draft because I think it means he's going to get better as a rookie too. And, yeah, I just like that the Knicks really weren't impressive as a three-point shooting team last year, except for Courtney Lee. I mean, Justin Holiday had flashes, but who knows if he's even going to be back. He might get overpaid by another team anyway. And Josh Hart, if they get him in the second round, they're going to get him for peanuts. So I feel like, yeah, the Knicks could use another uh, They could use another sharpshooter. And I think with his athleticism or his uh, his uh, sharpshooting, they, they'd find a good prospect. And in terms of things I don't like, he's uh, – off, he's not exactly like a lot of catch and shoot guys. He isn't very good off the bounce. He doesn't really create. He didn't really create a lot of offense for himself at Villanova. He's not going to create shots for other people. But you know, he's not going to be asked to do that. So, yeah, I, I don't really expect him to do that. And he's going to have to improve on defense too. But he was a capable passer. I guess it says here he averaged 3.8 assists per 40 minutes, which for the triangle, if he can do something like that, I guess that's pretty nice. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think he'll need to improve a little bit on defense. And I I just really like his three-point shooting. I like the fact that he's going to be a knockdown three-point shooter. So, Yeah, he's a a good three-point shooter, as you pointed out. Uh, He does – lacks some explosiveness and, and like you said also doesn't really create his own shot but Zach I'm going to ask you just about his background coming from a very successful university uh Villanova winning a national championship two years ago um you know even this year there are teams that won 32 games uh, just so the pedigree that that he brings he, he has success playing um in division one basketball do you think that's Something the New York Knicks could value with a player like him, that he comes from a winning background. Yeah, I mean, it's cliche to say that he knows how to win, but Jay Wright is an excellent coach, and he's pretty much drilled into his players nothing but success. So I feel like he could maybe shake up the locker room in a good way, where like if the Knicks are going through a tough stretch, Maybe, maybe kind of like how Ron Baker played this year when he would go in and everyone would be like so ecstatic because there's finally someone out there who looks like he cares about 
just like being on the court and just looking like he wants to win. And then that gives other players energy to feed off of. So it's just like, it's, it's the little intangibles that he's going to bring. I mean, it's not like he's going to go out there and lead the Knicks and win 55 games and be the fourth in the playoffs. But I mean, if he's able to have, if he's able to bring some infectious energy that can resonate with some of the other draft picks that they have, like if they go with someone like Dennis Smith, I mean, NC State is nowhere near the program that Villanova was. So he can just give off this vibe, like, hey, even if we do lose, we're not going to be okay with going out and getting smacked by 15 or 20. It's like you're going to go out and you're going to fight. And that's from what I've watched in the Knicks. Sometimes it just looks like they're not really fighting where it's like, okay, we're down by 15. I mean, you know, it's whatever. We'll go out. We'll play the final 12, 16 minutes, whatever it is. And we got another option here. And I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. You guys know the drill. I don't do names. Yes. It sucks. I don't pronounce names. You don't you don't break it down for me. There's not a chance that I'm going to pronounce names right. So, Zach, we're going to start with you on this guy, and I want you to introduce him because you got his name down, and I'm, that's very impressive because I can't. <laughs> very impressive you got his name down. So, same thing, when you introduce who he is so that way they know who we're talking about, what do you like about him and what do you don't like about him? All right, so the prospect we're talking about is Wesley Awundu from Kansas State. He's arguably the biggest sleeper in this draft. He's a four-year player, just like Josh Hart. Um, what I like about him more than anything else, he's a very versatile forward. He's 6'7", has a 7'1 wingspan, and really the only thing he can do on the basketball court is create his own offense. He rebounds. He creates plays. He makes plays for others, excuse me. And he also plays defense, which is something the Knicks don't do that often. He was ninth in rebounds per game for K-State and seventh in assists per game. And even though he doesn't have much of an offense, he's a reliable three-point shooter. He made about 38% of his threes this year. Was good for about one a game, which, I mean, is still... It's, he's still a threat to the defense at that point, knowing that he's comfortable with going out that far and shooting. But he got to the free throw line a lot, and he converted on a lot of his free throws. He was seventh in attempts, fifth in makes, with 159 and 122, respectively. And Kansas State is they're not a great program, especially living in the shadow of the University of Kansas. So Awundu has put himself in a position where he can slide to the second round and he's going to go out and he's going to make an impact in limited minutes just because he brings energy, he brings hustle. He's a very athletic forward, so he doesn't need the ball to make plays, which is nice. You know, he can run him off back screens or get out in transition or whatever. But yeah, the only gripe I have with him is that he's not really, he's not able to create for himself. But when he does so many other things so well, it's almost like, that doesn't matter. And it's not like the Knicks don't have other players to get, to create offense. So they're not really stuck with having to put the ball in his hands, which is really nice for them. And Chip, what I'm going to ask you about him is that wingspan, that seven-foot wingspan. And 
as a shooting guard, really, even probably can defend small forwards. Um, just talk about the length that, that he can have and how that can help perhaps the Knicks on the perimeter on the defensive side. We, we know he's able to shoot the basketball, Zach um, just talked about, but the length and how effective that can be guarding one of these shorter guards. Or do you even think, you know, with his, his height being six foot seven, do you think he can even cover guards? Yeah, I think he can cover guards because uh, Zach mentioned he's an incredible athlete. And he's, I think Zach mentioned his versatility too. That goes to his defense. Uh, he was an excellent defender in uh, college, and I think that will translate to the pros. Sometimes being a really good defender in college uh, doesn't translate to the pros, but I think in his case it will because of his athleticism. And I think he'll be able to defend multiple positions, possibly even uh, both guard positions and the three. And he had the ball in his hands uh, a lot in uh, college. But, and I think he averaged uh, he averaged 4.4 assists for 40 minutes at Kansas State. So I think he'll be able to handle the ball a little bit in the triangle. I saw... I don't know, Zach, you would know more about him than me. I saw someone compare him to Tabo Sefalosha. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good comparison. But he was, I mean, he was Big 12 all-defensive team. So, I mean, I know it's college, but you don't get named to an all-defensive team unless you're a really good defensive player. And I think he has a chance to be an awesome defender at the next level. And... Maybe not a great offensive player, but a lockdown defender coming off the bench. I think that's his his ceiling is lockdown defender off the bench, and definitely Zach said he's a sleeper of the draft. I I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, the intangibles are certainly there with him. I, I really like that wingspan. I like what I'm hearing about his his offensive game, but being able to guard the the smaller guards and, and having that kind of wingspan make it because I mean let's face it the league now is filled with just terrific outside shooters you know get big lengthy guy out there putting a hand up doesn't make those jump shots very easy to knock down and that's one thing that you know the Knicks really struggled with last year it was wide open shots or or not very well contested uh, shots on the defense end Um, so the offense is definitely there but I, I like a guy like this because of his wingspan, his size, his athletic ability, I think it actually can benefit more for the Knicks' uh, defensive side of things. And we're going to kind of transition. There, there's two guards here. Um, and, and we kind of talked about it right before we started the segment. It's kind of like a toss-up. Um, and Zach, we'll start with you. If the, if the Knicks had a choice of these players, Monty Morris from Iowa State or Frank Mason from Kansas, which player would you take? I want to preface this by saying that I think I'm very quietly a Frank Mason super fan. I don't know why. If I'm <laughs> picking for the Knicks, I'm picking Monte Morris. If I'm picking for almost any of the other 29 teams, I'm picking Frank Mason. The, what separates the two for me is Monte Morris is a better defender. Also, he's a bigger guard, so he's almost automatically going to be a better defender. But he's the best decision maker in college basketball. He's a four-year player from Iowa State. In those four years, 
his assist to turnover ratio was 4.6 to 1. So for every one turnover, he was handing out almost five assists. There was a stretch, a three-game stretch this year where he handed out 23 assists without committing a turnover. And it's not in, like, some BS conference. Excuse excuse me. I mean, he's a, he was a legitimate player in the Big 12, which is one of the Power 5 conferences. And he's also got a solid offensive game to win to him. Frank Mason is a better offensive player, but that was almost kind of like by default because he had to shoulder a lot of the load for Kansas, and their offense was just out of this world this year. Can't go wrong with either guy, especially being late in the second round, but if I'm picking between the two, I'm going with Morris. And Chip, same thing. If you had the choice, which one would you take? Yeah, I'm going with Morris, too. Just And I love Frank Mason, but I'm going with Morris, too, because of his defense. And he, I think, is a, I think Mason is a better outside shooter. But I think Morris, like Zach said, just based on the size, is going to be a better defender. But he was very efficient in college, Morris. Zach mentioned the, the uh, passing, but also on offense, too. Like, I'm looking at his twos. He was... He was 50% on two-point shots, so he took smart shots. Uh, he uh, wasn't necessarily uh, a great athlete, I guess, but I think he's a very smart player, which means Phil Jackson will like him if he doesn't make, like Zach said, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So I think he'll be a better fit for the Knicks, although uh, I do like Frank Mason more <laughs> because of his, superior three-point shooting. I, I will always go with the better three-point shooter, except in this case, because Monte Morris is a is a much better defender. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, yeah and, you can get away with you can get away with Mason. You can get away with picking Mason because of his three-point shot if you have someone else to handle the ball. But it's like if he's going, yeah. if he's going to be the primary ball handler, you can't risk you can't really like risk having him not have the ball. I, I'm yeah, with like you. Yeah, I hear I, what I, you guys I, are I saying. Yeah, I think that made sense. Like uh, you could sort like play him as like a pseudo two guard, kind of like that's more. They do that more in college, not so much in the NBA. But like, if you have two guys who are equal ball handlers, you can have Frank Mason just like hang out in the corner, hang out in the wing and just wait to get three-point shots, especially if that other guard can get to the rim and draw, def- and draw the defense because Mason knocked in 47% of his threes this year, which is just like not crazy. I can't comprehend that. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually... Nine points better than his junior year. That's absurd. Uh, I'm actually on the opposite side of this, and I, I think you can make a very strong case for a player like Mike T. Morris, and I hear what you guys are saying, that a uh, better defender. But, I mean, I, I, I find it hard to ignore the fact that Frank Mason is a, a Wooden Award winner, um, a terrific basketball player, 20 points a game, uh, five assists, the 47% three-point shooting, uh, you know, I know 
a lot of the times I kind of find it funny because I talk about the Knicks got to find better defenders. And then I always end up taking the guy that isn't the better defender. I don't. I, it's funny how that kind of <laughs> always seems to work. I mean, I, I guess I secretly like offense more. Um, which well, offense is more fun. It's more fun to watch. Exactly. I mean, you yeah. know what? If we're giving up, you know, 115 points a game, if we have the offensive firepower to yeah. score 120, why That's does it matter? You know what I mean? It was not. It was not fun watching the net out of the gym. <laughs> Every night. If you have an elite defense, like, I really enjoy watching the Warriors play defense. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy watching the Spurs play defense. But it's like you have to have a top three defense for it to be entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I, – I, I like the fact, like I said, that he, he is the Wooden Award winner. I think – you know, I, I know they're both uh, seniors. Um, and I know a lot of the times that guards like this, they fall to the second round because – they're a lot later uh, or a lot older, um, and, and that for whatever reason that hurts them. I guess because you can get a 19-year-old kid, get a few more years out of them. Um, but Mason, like Morris, both guys that are I think fully developed. I think very mature. Um, I, I don't think you can go wrong either way. But if it was me personally, I would take Morris. Um, I watched him several times this year in some of the big games and just performed very well in some big pressure situations. In fact, I mean, I'm seeing something right here on Draft Express as I'm looking at him. Um, they talk about how he played excellent defense against Monty Morris, kind of outplayed him. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, that's <laughs> what they're saying right here, one of the, the notes, because I think that's one of the things when you look at these two guys – it's a toss-up between the two. So, you know, they're talking about how he, he outplayed and locked down Morris in the in the games that they played. So my pick would be for Morris. But, um, again, I'm not the draft expert. But, you know, and I always seem to pick the offensive guy over the defensive guy, which I would love the Knicks to play the better defense. And I think that's going to – wrap up the show here today really quick just because i noticed that we're about 40 minutes to tip off from game five of the nba finals um kind of changing gear just a quick second chip who do you got winning tonight does it end tonight i think the warriors are gonna huh does it end tonight Can i think the... the warriors close it out yeah it ends tonight yeah. Warriors close it out tonight zach what about you i got Kevin seven Kevin seven my pick so you're believing i'll feel <laughs> Yeah, I just all right. I just like watching great basketball. I'm sure you guys can attest to this. Would you be upset if we got three more games? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh no, not at all. Like, like I kind of just like part of me picked Cavs in seven because I've bet against LeBron James one too many times, and it just it hasn't worked out for me. Part of me hasn't wanted to change my pick because I don't want this series to end because it's just like. It's been so. It's been really fun watching not only LeBron and KD go head to head, but just watching how the two teams adjust to playing each other. Because the two styles they play are just like they're on two opposite ends of the spectrum. And then it's like Kyrie Irving goes for forty. Steph was doing his thing first couple games. It's just been a joy to watch. And Harrison Barnes not shooting over nineteen makes it more fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not fun for the Cavaliers. Time. You know that Durant's out there. Thing. But, you know, I, I think 
what hurts the Cavaliers is that they gave away game three. They should have won. This should be oh, 2-2 right now. And I just think that is, is going to loom large tonight. I, I unfortunately have Golden State winning it uh, tonight and closing it out. Now, I will say this. If they don't, I, I heard Richard Jefferson saying that there's pressure on them to win tonight because if they don't, more than likely we're coming back oh here God. for Game 7, and I agree with them. Yeah. If Golden State doesn't close it out tonight, I'm feeling a Game 7, which I hope happens. Uh, another epic Game 7 between these two teams would be outstanding. Um, but that's all the time that we have. Uh, Zach, we, we thank you for coming on. You were great. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. And for next week, it's going to be all about the draft. as will be a few days from it. So uh, Chip and I are going to have a, a mock draft and really break into this draft even more. Maybe obviously feature the plenty of the Knicks, but more of the entirety of the draft. So uh, stay tuned for that, and we'll be back next week.